As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. It's time for another episode of Birds with Friends. Just a trio of feathery brethren, weather in any season to see the Eagles eating teams like Scrammy's Top with Cheese. It's Philadelphia, Bo Sheel, and Zach kicking it. Cooler than three penguins till Zach runs off with his valet keys. He's a real nuanced goose. Pull up a branch, get loose. It's time for some juice on some Birds with Friends. The early bird gets the worm, but prefers getting turned like a turn on some Birds with Friends. Bo Sheel and Zach coming at you with steps and things like their wings on. How do you have time to consume all this content? You're listening to Dave Spadaro interviews. I, I take a morning bike ride and I listen to Oh, oh I want to hear more it about is. that, but go ahead. No, the Schuylkill Trail. I, I oh, really? Yes. Wow. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Birds with Friends on a Wednesday afternoon. Bo Wolf, Shilkapadia, Zach Berman, and Marissa Morris. Here to talk about, uh, you know, some of the leftovers from draft weekend. We've got plenty to get to, and we're going to have a, a special guest in a little bit, Tyler Tynes, staff writer from GQ, who wrote a great profile of Devontae Smith, Smitty, Tay-Tay, the Slim Reaper. He's got all these good names, nicknames. So we'll uh, we'll dive into that with Tyler. Shiel, how are you? I'm doing well. I think our classics for Sheil hashtag from mm. our last episode may be our most popular Birds with Friends hashtag. People were in a rush to tell me their favorite movie. So I appreciate all those suggestions. For those of you who didn't listen, I was saying, you know, I'm gonna this is this is content consumption season in the Capadia household. And so uh, I was looking for some classics, movies that you loved. However, this is also a test. This is how well do you know me? You've listened to me mm. for four years. And so some of you just came in and said, these are my favorite movies. Now, now, listen, if I start one of those and I think it's terrible and it's nothing I would ever want to watch, then I'm going to crush you on the podcast. So this is not just your favorite movies. These are movies you enjoyed that you think I would enjoy that. that this is all about me as should it really, this should be clear four years into the podcast that it's always all about me. Uh, and so that's what you got to keep in mind. And let, let me just say this. I want to be entertained, okay? I want to sit there and I want to be enter entertained for the 90 minutes, two hours, whatever it is. You know, I don't need to learn more about myself or, you know, anything like that. <laughs> I just want to be entertained. Uh, having said that, I enjoy a good documentary, so I can be entertained by a documentary. So those are fine also. But whatever movies you think are uh, would be in Shields' wheelhouse, 
That's where you got to put the tweet out there and do classics for shield hashtag. Uh, it's a great list. All of you can just go check that out. And if you don't have Twitter, uh, you may leave that as a review. I'll check the reviews also on the Apple podcast page and make sure I get to those. It seems like uh, two favorites that have gotten multiple. Uh, there will be blood. People mm. seem to think is a classic. Okay. I'm not uh, 100% sure that will be up your alley, but go okay. Ahead. And no country for old men. People think mm. I need to watch. What do you think? You've seen uh, both movie. of those, I assume. I, mean, I think, I, think uh, mm-hmm. I would think that No Country for Old Men is probably a little bit more up your alley okay. than There Will yeah. Be Blood. I saw somebody recommended Dogtooth, which to yeah. me, um, I can't, it's hard for me to imagine anything funnier than you sitting down and watching the entirety of Dogtooth. So. I, I got to admit, I, lo- I did look that up and saw the summary and was kind of intrigued. So I don't know. Maybe I will. You know, that was from Dennis, I think, gave you that one. And mm. as, so, as someone else suggested, I kind of owe it to yeah. Dennis, given all the work he's put yeah. in. So Dennis, I know you're listening. I don't have to say if you're listening. I know you're listening. You're a default. Uh, give me the one movie and yours. It doesn't have to, uh, you know, fit the other criteria. Mm, Any and, you movie, will, and you will sit down and watch. I will watch. Watch the thing Ooh. from start to finish, and I will give you my thoughts after. So oh, Dennis that is a lot get, of power on Dennis. That's only for Dennis. None, none of the rest of you get that. You don't send me spreadsheets every week. All right. I, I feel like uh, Exit Through the Gift Shop on a, on a documentary front would be one that you would enjoy. I don't even know that one. So, mm-hmm. okay. Do the hashtag. You can't just tell me here. I don't listen that's to fair. what you say. Um, uh, Zach, everybody, of course, thrilled with your performance at the end of Saturday night's episode. Um, everybody is saying, can we get, you know, uh, Sleep deprived Zach on the draft show more week often. Zach. Well, that's draft a character. Week Zach draft is week like Zach, the, the favorite character. I did get a DM from John Patuhas who said, uh, "I was struck by JP. Zach's mood change when you asked him who killed JFK. He completely <laughs> shut down after being as talkative as ever. Can we account for his whereabouts and close contacts in November of 1963? <laughs> yeah, I'm was... not saying he was on the grassy knoll, but I don't think we can discount the possibility he was involved in some way." Be careful if you pull that thread. I was born in in March of '86, so yeah, I was not yeah, involved in that. But but I I can say when I took over on the Eagles beat in 2012, and it included um, annual trips to Dallas. Uh, the first few years, I would go back to the museum there, um, uh, and in the in the in the Dealey Plaza, and. Uh, my wife would comment like, how many times do you need to go to the same museum? <laughs> so, I was just going to ask that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I, I kind of cut out going every year, but uh, it's it's been about two or three years, so I would like to get back there. But uh, I do appreciate the, the comments. I was not happy with the performance, but I what? do like that people are interested are in, talking about? in the books. And so I, I will... Uh, always or, or, or not always uh, occasionally give updates on what I'm reading the most recent yeah. book that I read the yeah. most recent book that I read was Think Again by Adam Grant uh, was a good book about rethinking about kind of not being totally committed to what what you think you know uh, I enjoyed that and then the uh, two books that I have now are Bomber Mafia by uh, Malcolm Gladwell, and then Built to Lose by Jake Fisher are the uh, mm. and and that's about the NBA tanking there. So those Philly are guy, the two Jake books. Fisher, right? Yes, yes. So those are the uh, two books on top of my Kindle list at the moment. Um, and then <clears throat> I would say that. Excuse me. Gross. Give me. Let me get a sip of. Uh, of okay. Uh, soy I mean, latte. You just cleared your throat. 
You know, it wasn't that big of a deal. Jeez, you've done much. Trust me, you've done many more embarrassing things than that well, on this uh, sure. podcast. Uh, speaking of which, uh, after um, after you outed me on the Peloton front, uh, Shield. I didn't I can, out you. I asked you if you had a, if you got a Peloton. <laughs> I can now I can now bring to the podcast some of some of my thoughts on the Peloton. Yeah, and uh, not a sponsor, by the way. Not a not a sponsor. Yeah, I can. And, and a tough say, day, right? Uh, tough day today. For yeah, you know, yeah, tough day. Well, love, thankfully, I don't have the treadmill. Um, you know, not always, not always on the same wavelength as the Peloton instructors. Like for instance, this morning, uh, you know, I got my second vaccine shot on Monday. So yesterday, very tired, uh, nothing, nothing too bad, but was just tired and achy, tired again this morning. Uh, you know, I slept into like 1030 or so figure, okay, I, I might as well, uh, you know, go get a sweat in or something, but nothing, mm-hmm. nothing too crazy. Like just uh-huh. get myself All back right. to normal. Okay. Yeah. And I, and I, you know, I, I pick what I think is going to be like a, you know, just sort of get back into the swing of things ride. And like five minutes into it, it's like, let the beat penetrate you. Like <laughs> get slapped in the face <laughs> by the beat. And I'm just like, this is not, this is not what I'm in the mood for uh, right now. So you got to find your right person, yeah, right? Yeah, Isn't yeah, that the exactly. thing? You got to okay. curate it uh, a little bit better. I yeah, tried yeah. a new person. So. All right. So we will have Zach book updates and we will have Bo Peloton updates going mm. forward. There you go. I look forward to it. And Shields movie updates. Okay. Uh, before we get to uh, Tyler, who's going to join us in a little bit, uh, let's talk about some of, I guess, the, the news that has happened over the past couple of days. Zach, uh, you know, Howie Roseman has made the, uh, you know, some of the radio rounds following the draft. What, uh, what can you tell us what has happened since we last spoke on uh, late Saturday night? Sure. So clearing the record on something we discussed on Friday night when that viral video came out and, and we were speculating uh, that the, the contention, if you will, in the draft room was about should they take Aaron Robinson or Milton Williams. And according to Howie Roseman with an interview on, uh, the, on, on WIP yesterday morning, said that it was actually about Milton Williams and Aleem McNeil the other defensive tackle who went to the Lions and that they were down between those two tackles, two different types. Obviously, McNeil's more of a nose tackle type. He's your 313-pound guy, uh, 20 years old, so Bo would like him in, in, in that respect. And <laughs> different then type Milton, of player, but yeah, I mean, yeah much better yeah, than Aaron yeah. Robinson for sure. And then Milton Williams, who Jeez, is uh, who's, Robinson, who's more of the uh, – the, the, uh, you know, three technique, or at least that's how they're hoping he plays. That's how they're hoping he plays. I think Howie mentioned Malik Jackson in there. Uh, Malik Jackson has more length, but in terms of a player who has inside-outside versatility, um, that would be... And now, don't tell Malik Jackson he has inside-outside versatility, by the way. Mm. He he likes to be strictly on the inside. But uh, it, it, it certainly sounds like Milton Williams a different type of player, and that's who they were down uh, between at pick number 70. And though it was, you know, obviously it was not um, unanimous there, you know, there would have been a difficult discussion. My understanding is Milton Williams still would have been the pick at 70 if they had to make a pick. Even if it would have been, uh, Mm. you know, a little bit more of like a break the tie. So, yeah, I I mean, I don't, I think that's totally fine. It's like, yeah, I, it's, it's, it's tough that like, this is, this should not be a big deal. Like, it's like. It's totally fine. This is a totally normal thing to happen. It's just like, it's so funny that of all the organizations to get caught with this thing happening on camera, it's the Eagles. And over these two players, right? I mean, like you said, there's no like distinct. It's not like uh, Milton Williams was 240 on Dane Brugler's board and yeah. Aleem McNeil was 70 exactly. and they went off the board with this crazy pick. Um, and so uh, I always prefer these sort of 
gap penetrating pass rush juice 100%. you know those guys are harder to find i think i've said often on this uh podcast like the big you know and i think Ali mcneil i think bo you were saying after the draft you thought he was a fine player i think so too i think it's a i think he would have been a fine pick there i wouldn't have crushed totally the pick yeah. but i do i do think those types of players are easier to find than if you hit on the guy who's you know producing well, tackles for loss and in interior pass rush, who is right? Exactly, bringing a lot of the same stuff. Comparable, right? yeah, I yeah. agree. So they still got. So uh, that was funny. And Tom Donahoe, I guess, told Chris Mortensen that uh, he was just he didn't know the camera was on, which was you know, which is the whole point. That's the yeah. funny thing. Yeah, we know you didn't know the camera <laughs> we, was we, on. You weren't Tom. acting for the camera, yeah. Tom. <laughs> you weren't putting on a show. That would have been the story if he knew yeah. the camera was on and like watch this, everybody. So uh, it was funny. We'll all remember it. It will be a memorable thing from this draft. I don't think in three years we're going to be like, now, you, listen, if, if this happens, you can sit, hmm. you can bring this clip back up. I don't think we're going to be saying Aleem McNeil is a three-time All-Pro and Milton Williams is out of the league and Howie screwed up again. So, we listen, we've uh, criticized Howie, I think, fairly right. over the years. Uh, I don't I don't think this yeah, is I mean, something I will to criticize right now, him about. I think, they did, I think he did the right thing with that pick. When, yeah, I think so. Especially getting the sixth-round pick. Uh, and and uh, and uh, I would say that I think Howie, in the time that Bo asked him the question on Friday night, and then on on the radio on Tuesday morning, or yeah, Tuesday morning, I I thought he handled both of those better than maybe I, I would have expected, or than he would have in the past, perhaps. I, I I don't know how he would have done it in in the past, but I thought he was he he wasn't like uh avoiding it with Bo the other night and then he provided more details yesterday so if if you take what he says at face value uh i thought he handled those 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 questions fairly well now uh, i agree yeah he was honest about them and there's yeah. no reason to really lie about it so uh, right. you're right exactly now uh, speaking of which he was also asked i think on that same uh, interview on WIP about uh, were the Eagles interested in trading up to nine potentially for Patrick Sertan instead of Devontae Smith? What did he say, Zach? Well, so he was the Broncos put out a clip of uh, of George Payton. I always thought it was Patton, but it's Payton mm-hmm. um, on the clock, and you heard him uh, take a call from Howie. So uh, clearly, the Eagles were trying to move up there, which makes sense. If they traded the ten, you would think they would mm-hmm. also uh, try getting up to nine, and uh, Especially because you don't know that Dallas will do a deal with you, or that if if someone else is trying to trade up to get mm-hmm. Smith, right? And right. and and so in that case, um, he was asked how he was asked, uh, would he have gone Sertan or would he have gone Smith at nine? And he didn't really answer the question. That was one of those where how he, uh, you know, did what he he can be good at, which is like avoiding the answer. Um, and all he simply said is like they they love Smith they were thrilled to get Smith Smith is their guy but he didn't directly say we would not have taken Sertan there and it's it's reasonable to have that debate because we literally had that debate the Tuesday before the draft right. when Bo said if these guys are on the board what would your rankings be and I think two of us said Sertan. Yeah, I, I watched that and or listened to that and thought exactly what you said, Zach. I mean, he didn't come out and say we would have taken Sertan, but that was a read between the lines yeah. thing where if you if you were definitely trading up for Smith, you're not hesitating at all. You're saying we 100% uh, no, Smith was the guy we wanted to trade up regardless and make sure. And uh, I don't like, you know, I, you know I, I don't want him to lie, but I don't know why he wouldn't just say that. 
think well, it's fine. I don't understand yeah. why. Like, I don't know. We this is the old Zach thing that yeah, if I we're know. gonna ask people to be honest and then an yell at them for being life. honest, but yeah. it's not. I mean, like that's. I mean, he didn't come out and say we would have taken Patrick Sertan, so we danced yeah, around it. Fair. He knows there are other people in the in the building. You know, he was probably uh, scared. We, you know, somebody mm. somebody else could leak that, and then all of a sudden it looks like he's a liar, right? If somebody that's else true. says, uh, if there's a somebody else says something that they were looking to trade up for Sertan, that's or true. it could it could have even come from the Broncos camp. I mean, he could have called uh, Peyton and said and like, they they and Peyton could have asked defense. him, yeah, offense or defense, and he said defense. So it could have come from the Broncos, right. and then and then we'd be saying, why did you lie about this? It wasn't that big of a deal. So that's true. Uh, I have no issue um, with him doing that. I do think it's interesting to consider that scenario because I think the approval rating for the trade-up for Devontae Smith is pretty high. I have no data to back that up. It's just anecdotal. Uh, I think if they would have traded up and everyone's like, yes, they're trading up for Devontae Smith, and then they took Sertan, who, again, is absolutely in the same class of player, I think, and a clean prospect in a premium position. So I think it would have been fine. I don't think it would have had the same juice as the Smith or the same approval rating as the Smith pick. Well, well I think, but, yeah, I mean, we've talked talked about how like Smith has so much juice and you know there there's not really a comparable player on that front but I mean if if we were doing the show Zach and we found out that the Eagles had traded up to nine live I think we both would have guessed that it would have been for Sutan well certainly because to get to what we were saying like the reason you try to trade the nine is to get in front of Dallas right now uh, now Dallas is saying they were going to take Parsons all along. No, yeah, uh, they wanted yeah. a corner. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so the the reason you're you're trying to jump Dallas is is I imagine to get Sertan because Dallas is not going to take Smith. Uh, so that would be the read I would have. Now it could be what we said a moment ago. They were worried about someone else trying to trade up to get Smith, but I would guess they were going up for Sertan, and I I would have. Uh, giving them credit there, it would be hypocritical because I said the other night I would have taken Sertan over Smith if I was in the Eagles spot. Well, it depends uh, on what the price would have been as yeah, well. True, um, true. That's true. Like if they had um, but, to give up more than, say, the first of their third, which might have been the case, I don't. I, I would much rather do the do you know eighty four and twelve for Devonte Smith than you know seventy and a fourth and twelve for Sertan. I think. Yeah, you yeah, would think yeah. it wouldn't have been significantly more, right? It's one, I mean, it could yeah. have been, but... Not significantly yeah. more, but I think we looked at the history of, I think, like similar 12 to 9, and it was a little bit more than just 70 would have been the expectation. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's there's probably fewer questions. I mean, there's there's really only one big question about Smith, and that's and that's the size. Um, and th- there, are none, there are none of those questions about Sertan. Now, you can say, is he physical enough? You can kind of nitpick certain things about speed, his speed. Yeah, straight line yeah. speed. But I think like as as far as a cornerback prospect, he's he's considered clean. Yes. Right. And and so and by the way, the the celebration if there was if, if that's a term you would use for the Eagles jumping the Giants, the same would, would be applicable for the Eagles jumping the Cowboys. Like if this was the guy who everyone knew the Cowboys wanted and the Eagles jumped in front and they got the cornerback, then yeah. But I, I, I do think among the fan base there's always going to be more juice for a wide receiver than a corner. Do you think that there is like, can you remember there being more juice for a, a player than, than Devontae Smith in terms of a draft pick in our memory? I guess we talked about Wentz potentially. We talked about Wentz. Yeah, yeah, I would say Carson, obviously. But other than Carson, no. I mean, Lane Johnson didn't have that type. You know, hits no. an offensive tackle at number four. In the fourth uh, of, of four offensive tackles. Yeah, and uh, I mean, Fletcher Cox in 2012 didn't have that type of juice. 
so no, I mean Devonte Smith is is yeah, and I can tell you Nelson Aguilar in 2015 did not have that type no of juice. juice. No. Um, so yeah, so it's not even the position. I mean, it's 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 getting a Heisman Trophy winner is is what the juice is about there. And it's like the type of, and we'll talk exactly. to Tyler about this, but yeah, I mean, it's the type of like player and uh, intensity personality, you know, this isn't like a sort of vol, you know, this is like a big play guy yeah. who, who really, if he hits, uh, really has the chance to capture the imagination exactly. and the attention of the fan base. And I think Howie Roseman said in that interview, you know, we expect to see a lot of uh, six Devante six, right? Is that what he's wearing? Yeah. Six. Exactly. Yeah. Devante Smith jerseys. I think he's right. I mean, he, there really is a ceiling for this guy to become uh, a fan favorite. And I think that's why uh, it, it is an exciting pick for them. And to that point, I mean, Bo nailed it when he said that he thought Waddle was, was going to go before Smith. But to me, like, Smith has so much more juice among the fan base. I think than, so, too. Than Waddle. I, I Which mean, is Waddle, interesting because, like, Waddle has more speed. You would think yeah. that there would be more juice. But I feel yeah. like Devontae has more juice. I agree. I, I agree. I mean, and, and Waddle didn't play as, as much last year, obviously, because of the injury. But, like, Devontae was the more prolific college player. And then you go back, it, he caught the game-winning touchdown in the national championship. And I know I keep reiterating that, but that was, that was one of like the more clutch plays. And he was a true freshman at the time. Sixth uh, catch or seventh catch eighth, of the year, whatever. Yeah. It was. Yeah. Eighth catch. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so that, uh, that like, that was my first introduction to Devonte Smith. Um, just because like how, how big of a play that, that was in that moment. All right. Well, uh, speaking of, uh, of that, maybe it's time that we, we bring in Tyler. Let's talk a little, uh, let's talk a little Devonte Smith. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. And uh, just as a warning before we get into this interview, for those of you listening with kids, there's a couple uh, FNS bombs in here, but uh, you know, no big deal. 
All right. Well, we are very, uh, very pleased to be joined now by Tyler Tynes, staff writer at GQ. Lots of uh, places before that. And Tyler, I think we have to start with, uh, let's see, you have been able to manifest Carson Wentz off of the Eagles. Uh, you have been able to will Devontae Smith onto the Eagles by writing that story. What is next? What is your next plan in terms of the thing that you can imagine into the Eagles world? Man, y'all give me a lot of credit for a lot of shit I ain't do. You know what I mean? But look, but look, you know, you know, if, if y'all want to put that on me, especially the Carson thing, I, it's hard I, not to. I'll take that. You know what I mean? If you want to put the Carson thing on me, that's not my fault. You know, usually folks are better at football when they get all that money. That ain't my issue. <laughs> you know, Devontae, that just that just happened to work out. Who could say that just happened to work out? I know? feel like there had to be had to be something else. But I mean, uh, we, had, we had a little conversation about it. You know, back in March, we had a little conversation about some what ifs. You know, what kind of quarterbacks he liked. You know what I mean? <laughs> Jalen Hurts was on that list. You know, the Philadelphia Eagles. You know, we had a conversation about how he'd be received in the city. You know, that ain't my fault, though. You know, good for good for Howie Roseman doing something that made sense for once in his life. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so, obviously, uh, everybody should read that story on, on GQ. It's a, it's a great profile of Devontae. Um, I want to start with, you know, this idea that, you know, Devontae is like this little guy, right? Um, and there's well, like little's already... relative. Let's let's be careful there. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, there's like this comparison already thrown out to to AI because of the type of player he is, like undersized but sort of fearless on the field or, or on the court. Uh, do you think that is like a a fair comparison? It's a little. It's a lot to put on a guy early, but in terms of the way that he could like you know connect with the fan base. That's such a Philly media question, Bo Wolf, and I, I appreciate you asking some shit like that, man. That's that's some shit that only only we would would kind of you know muster up. I ain't gonna put Iverson on him, but obviously it's clear to make that comparison. Iverson, if he's lucky, is six feet tall. Devontae's around six feet six one, and so I understand the comparison. Small guys playing, you know, above their heights. You know, allegedly he's one hundred sixty six pounds. You know, all that, all that. The dude is a is a dog. All right. That's all we really need to know. You know, we're not going to have the comparisons or things like that. If you want to put them in the football realm, you know, weight wise, Isaac Bruce, Steve Smith, Marvin Harrison, people of that ilk. On the other side, you have Marquise Hollywood Brown of the same type of weight requirement. Right. And so there is somewhere within that spectrum that he'll be hopefully not the Marquise side, hopefully more of the Marvin side. Um He's good. He's a crisp route runner. He's great at the top of his route. Uh, it seems like he has gotten faster since the national championship game, according to you know Matt Ray at Alabama and Ben Newman down there as well. Takes care of his you know mental conditioning and strengthness. You know those kind of coaches. Um, I think he's going to be good. I think we don't really need to know too much more than that, right? Like, yeah. it looks like he's going to be good. You know, if you ask around, he was probably the best wide receiver in the class, unless you like guys like Jamar Chase who are more prototypical for a big wide receiver and, and things of that nature. I like guys who play good football. And I think the Eagles are devoid of guys who play good football. That's for sure. So good on Howie Rosen for getting a guy who <laughs> plays good football. I think it can be as simple as that. Anyone who overestimates in some ways, I think, is a sucker. This kid is good. He's been good in every characteristic. He was the best player against the press in the last five years. The second best player in the press in the college football was Devontae Smith in 2019. He was the highest in the first one since Desmond Howard. He was good on the 2018 team, won the, won the game-winning national title championship. In 2019, when all of the wide receivers were stacked, he still had great numbers, right? He's got a bunch of scrubs on the football. And so – I don't see a way how he's bad at football. You know, he doesn't really get hurt that often. He had the injury in the national championship game that was healed by the time I saw him in March. 
I don't see flaws in this guy unless you want a very tall wide receiver, a very athletic wide receiver in the very uh, prototypical sense. You got a stud. You got the Heisman. Good for Howie. What one thing that I thought reading your piece that just oozed out was his intensity. You know, whether oozed it was your, out, chill. Come on, t- 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 yeah, just like tell. I, I want to know just from like observing him and talking to him and talking to others. Like, I mean, a lot of athletes are intense, but he seemed like next level, right? In, in that sense, he's not even really that intense. I think he's you oh know, really he's kind of a, kind of a softy actually. Oh, okay. You know, well, he, tell me, it's not like he's like this old, you know, brooding, like you know, shadowy character. You know, I mean, he's nothing like that. He's not like some big tough guy. He's you know, as described in the first few paragraphs of the article, I thought he could have been a college swimmer. You know, I thought maybe he was a transfer student. You know what I'm saying? He's got he's this tall, lanky kid with some short shorts on and some bright sneakers. I just thought he was somebody who went to school. It's hard to tell that he was the Heisman. You know, it's walking up on him at 7 o'clock in the morning, you know, in Tuscaloosa, it's hard to see this guy as the Heisman, right? Like, usually when you think of the Heisman, who do you think? You think some big, strong running back. Right. You think some all-world or, you know, kind of corny, but a lot of, you know, white riders like him type of quarterback. Like, <laughs> that's the kind of guy you think of for the Heisman, right? You don't think like of a Jason White. Yeah. You're like a Jason White, like a Baker Mayfield. Pick a guy, right? You don't think of guys like this. And so I think the quote that Mac Jones gave was fairly spot on is that with a lot of these guys – you hear them more than you see them. And he don't really do a lot of talking. Now, he talked to me. I must be a great guy. He did a lot of talking, you know, when we were around. But it's a reason that that GQ profile was the first profile he's ever really done. Um, it's a reason that so many of his teammates were, like, pouring on. I mean, I, when I was talking to Najee Harris on the side of the field one night, he was, like, irate. That journalists consistently were asking questions about Devontae Smith's weight. Mm-hmm. Mac Jones, when you ask him the same question, you know, Mac Jones is just this fun-loving, you know, could be a JV quarterback type of personality, personality football player. His entire face goes red when you ask him about the weight question. And so when you have been as successful as someone like Devontae Smith is, I think it is pretty okay if you're tired of people asking questions about your pedigree, about your resume, about who you are. I mean, the same thing, right? If, a, if, if somebody who is, you know, an editor at, at, you know, some random newspaper in America was asking questions about who, who I'm supposed to be, I'd be a little pissed off too. You know what I'm saying? Do your research. And so I think everything that comes with Devontae Smith makes sense. I think he's a gamer. I think he plays harder than most people that you'll find in a locker room. I think he only really cares about playing video games and playing football. If you're a GM, how could you not be excited? <laughs> I I don't want to overstate the small town thing, especially because, uh, I mean, if you go to Alabama, there's a microscope on you every day. Uh, that being said, that's something we've seen with players who come to the Eagles, who are from, I, I love the, desc- the description you had in your story about his hometown. What I, I think four point or, or three point nine uh, miles, one public school, right? Um, so the he he grew up almost in a cocoon there, right? And then he's coming to Philly, where you know what it's like, Tyler. The the expectations from day one for a player at his position, who's the number, who's who's the first round pick who won the Heisman Trophy, like, they're not expecting mediocre. You know what I mean? I mean? They're expecting a star. How do you think he'll handle Philadelphia? 
Easily. I mean, what's title town, right? What's Tuscaloosa? Mm-hmm. They won six championships in 13 years. They expecting stars off of every kid that Saban says is good. Philadelphia ain't special just because we yell at our folks a little, a little louder and a little more brasher than a bunch of other places. Well, our fans aren't special in any in any way. We just like to think we are, which makes it a special place. That underdog mentality, that blue collar idea of that, you know, we've been punched up forever and we used to be the nation's capital. And now we're the second best and we're not even the best in our region. It's New York and D.C. You know, we always in Philadelphia want somebody to pity us, but we always want to punch back. Devontae Smith is that in a nutshell, in the sense that he was too small coming out of high school, but saving still loved. He's about 100, 150 pounds going into Alabama. All right. He about 170, maybe 180 leaving Alabama. So the same program that makes these kids into big guys, you know, we just, you know, Trent Richardson and Mark Ingram. And you think of the big bruisers across the offensive line. He fulfilled his duties. He put on 20 pounds since he got to Alabama. So if there are Philadelphia fans who are mad in any way, I think maybe they should just get the fuck over themselves. Um, you got a star. You got a Heisman. When's the last time Philadelphia drafted a fucking Heisman? All right. It's like man. 1940s or something like that. Right? Thank you, Bo Wolf. The point is, I don't, I just, I just don't really. I can't give a lot of credence to a lot of flaws in this guy's game. If you want to bring them up, sure. I think you should actually have more examples than not. And not speaking of you, Zach, yeah. more examples of, oh, he's small. Okay. And. There, oh, no, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not referring exactly, to the game, I mean, exactly. but I, I, yes, I, I do think uh, with, with Carson at the end, I think that was mm-hmm. a real thing. Like how, how much, the microscope was on him all the time, right? All and right, but whose fault was that? Is that who fault? whose fault? Well, Carson's. Well, no, I don't think it's anyone's fault. I just think it's the oh, nature. I think it was Carson. I think it's. I think it's the nature of of being a quarterback on the Philadelphia Eagles, right? Or, but and 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 by extension, we talked about Allen Iverson. One of the great things about Allen Iverson in Philly, one of the reasons he was so beloved, wasn't just because of the way he played, but like he he became. A, a, a part of you know a, a fabric in the city, if you will. Um, like he embraced that. Some players they just come and and play. Some players become a part of it. Do you think Devontae is going to want to become a part of it? I think I think that glosses over a bit of nuance in, in the sense that okay. like when you think of some of the superheroes that have become you know the deities in Philadelphia sports, like you know the Mount Rushmore recently. You think of John Chaney and Don Staley and Allen Iverson and these people of the hardwoods that, you know, personify, you know, and become an avatar of so many different idiosyncrasies of Philadelphia. I don't think an athlete necessarily subscribes to those things. I think sure. they either come that way or by proxy, we put that on them, right? As mm-hmm. journalists, as people in the press and as sure. fans. I think Devonte doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, equipped for it i don't think necessarily he has to subscribe to this idea of what philadelphia is i think he a dog i think he carries that dog mentality and i think philadelphians as we've you know seen pretty early since he's been drafted are going to really really love that absolutely whether he's going to subscribe to it outright or not i don't really know i think he's going to be beloved pretty quickly though I think um, one of the things that the Eagles have like talked up about Devonte and Landon Dickerson, who they took in the second round, is that these guys are sort of like culture changers. You know, they were both captains at Alabama, and I guess like it's hard to separate. Like, are they just that way because they went to Alabama? Like, they they played in that culture. And you talked about the way his teammates talk about him. Why do you think it is that he specifically, you know, uh, made that impact on those guys? I think when you have consistently been the best player on your team for a long time or in your position group, people immediately flock to you, right? Like when you think of like 
celebrity or fame or people who are good at their position, no one is flocking to people who play JV. They flocking to superstars, mm-hmm. right? Like people want to be around a quarterback because you are automatically assumed to be the superstar of this team. And so for a dude who don't talk that much and his teammates didn't know that much about him. And I love they, that Najee Harris uh, right. story at halftime. That was great. Right. Like the glaring thing about Devontae is that he's good as shit at football. <laughs> and so when you don't have the things that fill in the personality, when you don't have the things, you know, being loquacious or being someone who, you know, is going to outwardly show some levels of emotion, the things you have to fill in the gap personality wise are going to be what you actually accomplish. And he is one of the most accomplished wide receivers as a prospect sure. we have seen in football over the last decade. And so I was surprised, probably as Najee and anybody else, that there was so much personality in there. And I think when you go to the University of Alabama and you play football for Nick Saban, not making him an anomaly, but when you play for guys like that, you play for blue chip programs, you then become, you know, you get that smush down personality, right? Like Najee Harris happens to be an example of this where we didn't hear that much from Najee over the years. But as soon as he was able to kind of be his own person, a prospect, you get this booming and boisterous personality, right? I wasn't expecting that of Devontae. And I don't think that's going to happen in Philadelphia. But if you have to fill in the gaps because maybe the personality or the talkativeness isn't going to be there, what you're going to find is one of the best wide receiver prospects going into professional football that we have seen in a very long time. I wanted to know from the beginning, you know, this might be like a, a nerdy uh, sport, sports Absolutely. writer question, but from, I want this stuff too. I want to know from the beginning, like, you know, you could have written about, you know, many different and draft pro- prospects or why, why did you choose him? Uh, you know, how much time did you spend down there? Who else did you talk to? What surprised you uh, about the process? Take us kind of behind the scenes there a little bit. She don't want me to just like, you know, dump I'm dump trying to get tips, yeah, man. Insane, when yeah. we last saw you, we're on a practice field. You're at GQ. I'm talking to Bo and Zach now. I need some, you know, we need some tips here hey, from you. You. you think Bo and Zach ain't plugged in that shit? Bo Wolf, the best journalist I ever met in my life. <laughs> there you go. Oh, I mean, let's clip that, Marissa. We'll save that. Oh, that's going to lead the show now. Okay. I think the thing, um, you know, the reason we ended up picking Devontae, um, to, to be honest with you, is that we had other ideas. And I got to GQ in March. It's May. And so March for draft season in terms of like setting up profiles and setting up, you know, coverage and things like that. You're a little behind the eight ball, right? I'm a little late to the game. And so my first pick didn't go as well as planned. You know what I mean? Like we had an idea of who we were going to profile, or at least I had an idea of who we were going to profile. And it, as, as so many interview subjects go, it fell through. They, went to, been another outlet. they went to another outlet and, and, you know, they did their thing. Good for them. I hope the story was what they thought it was going to be. But, you know, on the list of people that were there, you know, you don't just pick one person. You don't say, okay, I'm going with quarterback A or D lineman B, and that's it. You got to have a backup plan. You have to have, you know, the same level plans and the type of prospects as you break them down reporter wise. And so when you work somewhere like GQ, almost the entirety of the world's athletic flock is, is to your disposal. And so when I think of that top 10, I think of, you know, the Trey Lances, the Mac Joneses, allegedly as it was supposed to be, Devontae Smiths and so on and so forth, there were only but so many guys we didn't know that much about. And there were only but so many guys and so many topics that I cared about. Black quarterbacks, um, black coaches, which obviously, doesn't, you know, doesn't translate to this. You know, well, it, it could have in terms of like maybe getting a Brad Holmes at the GM side or getting a David Cully for the Texans, things like that. You know, things that are within my interest range. And when I thought of like Devontae Smith, I was like, well, I don't actually know shit about Devontae Smith. And when you start calling around, 
it didn't seem like almost anyone knew shit about the right. <laughs> yeah. And when you think about the prospect of, you know, doing his first profile, really, and trying to do someone like him justice. And when I think about my pathos in journalism, when it comes to trying to tell my very black American truth, when that grew up on the north side of Philadelphia, and now, you know, is, is holding a pen at GQ, I am I'm caring about those black athletes, because frequently in our press, we do not see black writers covering black athletes, or even our white press caring about these black athletes in the same way that they deserve. When I thought about that top 10, there were just there was there's was a beautiful storm. I was like, wow, I don't know anything about Devontae Smith. He grew up in this small little cocoon in Louisiana and Tagahoe and Tagahopa Parish. We should do something on him if our first thing didn't pan out. Maybe he's our second thing. Maybe, let's put all these requests in at the same time. It just so happened we had a stroke of luck. Devontae was down to do it. I happened to be in New Orleans at the time uh, to start at GQ. And what's a little four and a half hour drive to Tuscaloosa <laughs> between friends. Mm. And so after that, you kind of just have to hope and, and, and wish that it goes the way that you want it to. No one wants to go on the road and get shit. Right. And so kudos to Devontae. He was ready to talk. He, he was down to have the conversation. Um, I know a lot of his, his people at Clutch. And so I think we have an again, we have an idea of what these things can be. But when they actually are bigger than our imaginations, we end up with gold. And that's what we kind of had there in terms of the reporting. What's He's pulled in beautiful storm. You pulled the whole thing together for the kicker. Go ahead, Zach. And to Shields question as well, before we get to the nicest man in Philadelphia media, Zach Berman, you go in and clip that too. <laughs> we talked to Devontae and some of his mentors, you know, I, I knew his agent, uh, Christian Barmore was, was at a table with us having lunch when we did a lot of discussion, Tony Gore, who is a coach in Philadelphia, uh, Patrick Sertan, Mac Jones, Nashi Harris, multiple strength coaches. And so we talked to about maybe, you know, 12, 15 people for the story. We only probably used maybe seven or eight. And so I think that the, the importance there is you always need to have more than you're going to use because you never know what's relevant. Um, you never know how you're going to build a story out until you sit down after you dump your notebook or whatever you may have in your, you know, journalist toolkit. And so that is the at least a bit of the full idea of how this whole thing came to be. That's the perfect transition, actually, to my question. And this was going to be my first question to you, but I... I well, both fucked it up. Mm -hmm. No, 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 no. I was, Story I was, of the podcast. I was trying time. to keep Clip a... Clip that, too. Clip that, too. I was trying to keep a, a rhythm there. Um, but this is a perfect transition. What's the best thing that, that was on the cutting room floor or like a behind the scenes of the story mm -hmm. that you can share with our listeners that, uh, that shows who he is? To be honest, man, I, I it usually isn't what I say, but uh, the shit that needed to be in there was in there. I'm not going to lie to you on that one. Um, I think uh, there's a lot of things that Devontae does. Who's, and how who's, who's talking like the old journalist now, right? This <laughs> <laughs> most of the stuff got in there, honestly. Honestly, most of the stuff that I wanted to get in there got in there. They're, they're you know, kudos to Ben Williams, uh, who's my editor at GQ. Um, he did a wonderful job with the copy. Um there, there wasn't there wasn't like okay. a, a whole lot of cuts. Um, so what I, what I wanted to get in there, 90, 95% of it was in there and everything else, to be very honest with you, was irrelevant. How about the scene? If 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 there was a camera on you guys, um see this is a good journalist here. He's not taking the first <laughs> right? He said I need some shit else. I love No, no, so so <laughs> so what's it like? me journalism at the inquiry. <laughs> I'm trying to learn from you here now. What was it like? Um you know, sitting down with him. I mean, I, I mean, I read the story. I've heard you. Uh, yeah. I, I've heard you talk about it. But if if there was a camera on you, what's uh, I guess what's he like? 
he is a great kid. He's a funny ass kid. Um, he's a Southern ass kid. Um, I think there was a line in the story about, you know, he had this smile that would make, you know, a soulful grandmother, you know, smile, something like that. That That is how I felt. And, and, and you know, um, doing the research, um, I, I was sitting in my girlfriend's house who just graduated from the University of Alabama. Big flex, big and, flex. Hey, hey, <laughs> look, come on now. <laughs> come on now. And so I was sitting in her house at the time when she was living in Alabama before she moved up to New York. And, you know, as we were, as I was kind of going through the research with her, um, it, it just, it just, it, he just came across the screen. Like when you're, when you're watching all the press conferences and you're watching every, every availability he had, just the smile came across the screen. When you say those broken pieces of, of that mosaic that's fluttering through his head, you see his emotions when people ask him questions. You know, one of the scenes that actually here you go, one of the scenes that that did kind of cut out is that when we were sitting in the uh, players locker room next to the Papa shop machine the, in the barber shop there at Alabama, kudos to all the money you could be paying the kids. Um, <laughs> I, I told him, I was like, I was like, do you ever think that you're so quiet and closed off and that, you know, you make all these faces and emotions because you're a Scorpio? Do you think you think that's why? And he's like, oh, man, I'm not really into that astrology shit. You know, <laughs> like, I, I don't know. And, and he, he and I both. He, he said it in a way that like was very genuine. He's a very, very genuine person. Um, and I think that's very rare in this world that you get people who are willing to give you almost all of themselves the first time you see them. Uh, you touched on, you know, your your background, Tyler, but uh, hold you know, that, Zach. There you go. <laughs> I like it. Well done. Uh, I want I want you to like tell us, you know, the the story of, of Tyler's rise, uh, how you got oh, into journalism, brother. you know, how you how you leapfrogged all of us. You, you know, you were uh, working with Zach. <laughs> As an intern, I, maybe maybe there's some good Zach stories, but yeah, unpaid intern too. Oof. Zach Berman ain't give me no money. Exactly. <laughs> that wasn't his job to do that though. But no, you know, wasn't. Zach ain't give me no money. I, I, I was employee number like four twelve. You know, that's all I was. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, give us the give us the Tyler story. I mean, as 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 I make no bones to you know not to share about you know from the north side of Philadelphia, you know, brewery town, thirtieth and Oxford, in the mud by the bottom. All that, all that. Yeah, you know I mean, grew up with my mom and my dad. Uh, my dad, who you know lives in Mount Airy, and uh, grandma, and grandpa, both very sick growing up. My mom was, uh, you know, stopped working as a nurse to take care of her parents. Uh, got into St. Joe's Prep because they were accepting eleven black kids at the time, and I met the qualifications. Uh, shout out to North Philly once again, and uh, the prep really changed my my outlook on what I could do. Um, I, you know, growing up in North Philly, I really didn't think I was going to college. I was just happy to really be alive for the most part, to be honest with you. And so to be able to go somewhere like the prep, uh, to be able to kind of, in, in a lot of ways, um, the most defining thing, the most important thing the prep gave me outside of an education was an ability to interact with whiteness in a way that I would never have been able to before. And seeing that and seeing how white families interacted, seeing how white people saw North Philly, seeing how white people just saw black people in Philadelphia was massively educational in terms of before I got into the real world. Because I could go to the school and I could have some interactions with some white boys and come home and my parents be like, what the fuck? And, and that was the reason I went there. It wasn't about the education because, you know, who the fuck wants to take Latin for four years? Mm. It was more so a thing of this is what you are about to experience. This is what you are about to face for the rest of your life. The conditioned burden, the root of sin of the American story and experiment. That was the reason of going to the prep. That was the, the purpose of being there. And so going from there, I went to King's College in uh, Wilkes-Barre Scranton. 
And uh, I wrestled for about a year and remembered I like to eat food. And so I ran track instead. Another ran track across country for the next three and a half years and had a major in broadcast and print journalism with a minor in photography. And there as well, having already gone to the prep, I mostly just focused on journalism, to be very honest with you. Um, sports weren't that hard. I didn't care that much about them at the college level, which is why I was shitty at them. Uh, and school wasn't that hard. I didn't really care about being a scholar. So I was shitty at that, too. Um, I worked, like I said, I, I had those three sports. I worked in the library. I worked at the radio station. I worked at the newspaper. I freelanced for the Citizen's Voice. I had about three, four jobs and, and freelance for SB Nation at the time covering college basketball. I would trick my friends and a few college basketball programs into um, getting a camera and being my photographer for the night. And so we drive to Syracuse, we drive to Kentucky, we drive to Philly, and they would send the sidelines and I would get a credential. I'd put in my story and I'd get $30. And that was enough for a little bit of beer money or whatever may have you, right? And so you go from there. I interned at the Inquirer in 2014. I didn't go to the Daily News only because the Inquirer editors told me I could get 25 extra unpaid hours if I worked over there. And, you know, you meet a star like Zach Berman, he kind of, you know, takes you on your team. But to be honest with you, you know, a lot of the Philadelphia media at the time was, was very much gatekeeping the area where it was 2014 at the time. And there were plenty of folks who did not want to give me the time of day. And if you were an intern there, there's only so much you could do if you were a black intern at the Inquirer. All I got to cover was basketball and the occasional, you know, crew race. You know, my buddy Zach Hellfan got to go to, you know, Philly's game, got to go to Penn State, what may have you. I had to kind of, you know, take what I could get. And that was very educational in terms of how I would come to view the press over the next few years. Next year, I went to the Daily News and for all intents and purposes, crushed it. And they gave me a little bit of money for that. So shout out to Michael Days for that. And then after that, graduated. And I decided that um, I really hated sports journalism. I really hated the idea of how we cover teams, how we treat people, how we treat players. And so I took a $31,000, $32,000 job in Atlantic City, New Jersey, at the Press of Atlantic City to cover more or less what Black folks was doing in a predominantly Black city, a predominantly non-white city. Stayed there for all of eight months. Uh, they ain't really like me too much over there either because a loud mouth little boy from North Philly wasn't really, you know, making too many friends in the newsroom, telling them that they was doing their jobs wrong. And so we went there. I got on a Greyhound bus with $500 and five bags to Washington, D.C. to work for HuffPost on a fellowship so they could get me on the payroll to keep me later in the year. I immediately was covering the White House, was covering Congress, the Flint water crisis, Hillary Clinton's election, a state of the union. And I was 22 years old. And I went from there and SB Nation came along and said, how about we combine your new job with your old job? And I said, y'all can do that. And they said, well, we can't. And so for about 60,000 bucks, I worked at SB Nation for two and a half years, became one of the youngest people in the best American sports writing anthology. Uh, Bill Simmons called my phone. So congrats to him. And uh, got, over congrats. To got, over <laughs> to got over to the ringer for two and a, about two and a half more years. And Asked then you if you like Pearl Paul, Jam, like here we are. Here we are. I like that. Go ahead, Jill. Well, so what was it about you? You're at you're at the ringer. It seems like you were. I mean, you can tell us or not whether you were enjoying that. But then GQ calls. What what was their pitch? What was attractive about moving over there? And what can you know our listeners and, and people expect from you uh, going forward in, in the role you're in now? 
It is the most premier men's magazine in the world's history, Shield. That is what was attractive about it. Um, no, honestly, I think um, th there's never been a sports writer in the history of GQ Magazine, never a staff sports writer. And when we think of the way that athletics are being covered by our general sporting press and the expansion of that sporting community, the village that wraps its arms around these athletes, these coaches, these GMs, and the extension of the field, it made sense. Where else could you possibly go right now in our media circus and have full access to the world's athletes and also write with a sense of purpose and not have that watered down? Um, and when I think of so many of the places that I've been in my media career already, and I'm only 27, I can see the editors who do a lot of watering down, who are afraid of journalists like me, who are afraid of Black folks, of non-white folks, of non-traditional folks being in their newsrooms. The Guardian published in the route 2018 that I think 87% of media jobs go to cis hetero white men, 87%. Wow. And so I am an anomaly anywhere I walk. I'm a protest anytime I pick up a pen. And you have to understand your purpose within all of that. And it's not just to be there. It is not good enough to just be there. It is good enough once you leave a legacy. As Toni Morrison has consistently said, you will never be free unless you free somebody else. And so what is my purpose in all of this unless I pull somebody up behind me? It is not enough to just be Tyler Tynes at GQ. It is enough when 40 of us walk through these doors and at every establishment that could have us. You know, it's funny, in 2009, uh, Michelle Obama uh, spoke for a piece for The Atlantic Ta-Nehisi Coates wrote. And in it, she said that there is nothing spectacular about her. The first Black, you know, the, the first Black first lady. There's nothing spectacular about her or Barack Obama. And when Ta-Nehisi Coates asked why, she said, because there are 40 Barack and Michelle Obamas on every corner of the South side of Chicago. And y'all were just fascinated by us because we were the ones who made it and broke the pendulum. I don't think there's anything spectacular about me, what I do or how I get by. I just think I'm one of the ones who made it. And so that's pretty much my perspective on all that. So you spoke about the the perspective that you have, the prism with which you view sports, sports journalism. Um, how does that come through, would you say, in your coverage? I think I've made it a habit, if you ain't noticed, to mostly write about folks who usually don't get coverage. And by folk, I mean Black folks usually. And I think, at least I think, that that level of coverage for the last 70 years, and if you go all the way back to college, the last 10 years, has really been appreciated. When I write a story about Black coaches, like the first time I did The Ringer, you have so many Black coaches who have never spoken on the record before that story, in that story, and after that story, who were willing to come back and do it again. You have so many Black executives never called, never thought of, never even picking up the phone for our press corps, who now are willing to do it for me. When I talk to players after I featured them, there's a sense of pride there. Not, this, not just that they had their stories done, whether it be an SB Nation, the Ringer, GQ, what have you, but that someone who looked like them, someone who walks like them, someone who thinks and breathes and at least exudes a portion of their humanity actually exists. And not only is in indie media, but is in major media and can afford them the same space of the door they broke down themselves. That's the only thing I care about, honestly, is that when I get done, when I'm, when I'm done, it's Devontae Smith's story. We not just done. He calls me back. There's maybe a story to do two years from now. When we feature Quiddy Pay, 
who is an immigrant of Guinea and, and, and a survivor of, of that Liberian civil war, he's excited not just to have his things featured, but because somebody who's 27 and black and don't give a fuck and is unwilling to move from their perch actually gave a shit about him. And not only gave a shit about him, but made his people give a shit about him. And I go back to that number, that 87%. If most of this field don't look like me, if most of the field that's hiring won't hire me, and I broke through, shit, we're going to have to get a few more of these motherfuckers up in here now. That's my perspective on the press, because if I don't do this, I feel like, or if I don't at least put my best foot forward and trying to tell a very authentic Black American story, who else is going to do it? Honestly, who else is going to do it? And if we are not preparing and nurturing and tutoring and pushing forward this excellent class, this gold standard of what could be the future of journalism, especially the athletic press, we are doing a disservice to our readers, we are doing a disservice to these athletes, and we are doing a disservice to ourselves. And I'll be goddamn if I do a disservice to myself. I think that's a good uh, that's a good way to wrap it up, Tyler. Uh, thank you so much for spending the time with us. Uh, obviously, everybody should go read the story on GQ and uh, you know follow Tyler as he as he tells these stories. Don't just read it now, Bo. Don't just read. Go let's subscribe. Let's subscribe, it. subscribe to GQ Magazine. Yeah. Pay my yeah. bills. Print it out and magazine. hand it out on the street to strangers. All that good stuff. All that, Bo. Come on, man. <laughs> Thank you, Tyler. We appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Of course. Thanks, Tyler. Thanks, y'all. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right. Thanks again to uh, Tyler for dropping by and, uh, you know, enlightening us on a lot of things. And uh, Devontae Smith. You know what's funny is, uh, I said this to Zach, it's funny to think about Devontae Smith and Landon Dickerson going from head coach Nick Saban to head coach Nick Sirianni. What do you think that like transition is going to be like for them? <laughs> that That's true. I mean, talk about if those two guys like walk down the street who would get recognized and uh and who wouldn't uh yeah i hadn't thought about that that's rare i guess right to go well maybe not maybe not yeah it's a, it happens well, it probably, I, guess, I, right? I mean for alabama guys it must not be that these rare, are the this like, is yeah. the extreme i mean no you know a casual really more than a casual a pretty intense nfl fan at this time last year probably would not have been able to tell you who nick sirianni is and then you have the most uh you know well, famous, just like the type of guys they are right like like the type yeah. of coach you're talking about, like Nick Sirianni coming up like a you know a golden retriever after uh, you know playing under the you know the uh, umbrella of, of Nick Saban is just kind of funny. 
Yeah, the reason I I was I was curious with Tyler about the transition from is it Amite? Amite? A, I believe it's Amite. Amite. From Amite to Philadelphia is because and I'm sure you guys have, have have had this conversation multiple times with different players like the the culture shock if you will that that players have not just in terms of like the fan base but just coming from like where if you're from a small town coming from that to Philadelphia um, players have often remarked just like it is it is a shock to the system especially initially now there are some players who are from bigger towns or bigger cities but if if you're from a, a small city that, that that can be a major adjustment going from somewhere small to Philadelphia so I'm I'm curious because he's he's going to be someone like I don't think he's going to be an anonymous, you know. Uh, it's it's not going to be walking to class and like no one notices you. He's going to be he's going to be a a big name here from day one. I think that uh, I think that kind of thing, like as Tyler said, like you know you know you played Alabama, you probably get yes plenty of uh, sense of that. I feel like that's the kind of thing that's going to be more uh, impactful on like this coaching staff. Than okay. the players, like you know, do 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 Sirianni, like Jonathan Gannon and Shane Steichen, really know what they're getting into, like over <laughs> the course of the season? That's I'm not so point. sure. Yeah, I mean, I, mean I, I always think that's like an organizational messaging thing more than anything else. I'm not saying it's it, it's not different. It is, but sometimes you know, I feel like people in the Eagles organization would ha- would have you believe like you know, playing for another NFL team, right. no one knows, no one even knows there's a team in that city and that thing. And I, I think even the point like with Wentz, like if Wentz and this was what Tyler led with is that Tyler Tynes can play football really well and that's what's yeah. going to matter. Like if Wentz, you know, when Wentz was playing well in 2017, no one was saying Philadelphia was too big for him, you know, and that he wasn't, uh, you know, he was even doing his charity thing at Citizens Bank yeah. Park and the truck and all that. I know he lived like, you know, pretty He's, far away and I'm, I'm not saying he was walking around the city or was like an ambassador like, you know, Malcolm, there's obviously a difference, right? Malcolm Jenkins exactly. or, um, you know, Chris, Connor Barwin, right? Like these yep. guys we can say are Right. They're just in right. it. They're out and about. They want they this is their city when they're here and even when they're not here, as yep. we've seen with both those guys. Um, yep, and so exactly. it's not going to be like that for everybody. But, yeah, ultimately, it's sort of like, you know, those are the exceptions, I think. And then mm-hmm. there's this other uh, the other end of the spectrum. And then I think most people are in between where it's like, all right, you know, sure. all that's probably going to matter is whether they can play or not. Uh, all right. Uh, not a ton more to get to, and I know Sheila's got a hard out in a little bit, but uh, did we want to talk about uh, Zach's depth chart piece, wrapping up some of the uh, NFC East drafts? Anything else we want to, we want to hit on before we, uh, we get going? I'll just say with the depth chart, and I've mentioned this on the pod before, the thing that jumps out to me is along the lines of scrimmage, uh, they're solid. Now, health-dependent, right? I agree if, with that. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if Brandon Brooks, Lane Johnson return to Brandon Brooks and Lane Johnson, then that's a variable that's tough to account for right now. But 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 they're solid there, and if and if you subscribe to the belief that if if you can protect the quarterback and you can rush the quarterback, that you'll be competitive. They can be competitive based on that. Now it is it is thin on that the skill spots on the back end, but the lines of scrimmage uh, they have quality starters and they have depth. Even the skill spots, like they should be fine, except like it, obviously a lot comes down to Jalen Hurts. Um, and I was like thinking about this the other day that like it is probably true that that Jalen Hurts um, is not necessarily the type of quarterback you would design to be like the one throwing Devontae Smith the ball, like, you know, getting the ball out right on time, uh, very precise. But 
you know, I think I think Devontae Smith can be can be good enough with him. Um, but yeah, I mean, like the back seven is is still a, a real issue. I don't know. I don't like this team as we've talked about is still pointing towards next off season. Like that's what it's all pointing towards. But I don't think it's crazy to think that like they have a very easy schedule. No, I don't think it's crazy that they, that they could you know have a winning record this year if they have a good quarterback play. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a wide range of outcomes. I don't think they have like a high ceiling. The what's with the yeah. ceiling is probably like I mean if they made the playoffs that wouldn't be the biggest stunner uh no. in the world. Uh if they finished in last place in the division, that wouldn't be the biggest stunner uh in the world. So, uh just looking at some of these other teams in the division, you know, I thought the Cowboys had a ter- had a pretty bad draft here. Uh I, I don't give know. Give me give me a, give me the full rundown. Uh well, it's long. I got to oh, go sorry. through all these guys. Uh yeah. Micah Parsons, Kelvin Joseph, Osa Adigazua, Chauncey Golston, Nashawn Wright, Jabril Cox, Josh Ball, Simi Fehoko. Josh Ball, one of the worst guys in the draft. Quinton Bohana, Israel Mukwamu, Matt Farniok. Okay. A lot of guys, but a lot of guys. I classic, think Parsons, like Parsons is fine, but if you look at one, two, three, four, five, yeah, like their their first their picks in the first four rounds. Um, you know, a few of those guys: Parsons, Kelvin, Kelvin Joseph, and. Josh Ball all have to varying degrees. Josh you Ball know. is like a real yeah right. Uh, different character things. This guy uh, Nashawn Wright in the third Huge round reach, right. was not in Dane Brugler's top three hundred. I think I think wow. he might have been the only guy drafted not in his uh, top three hundred. So I didn't think they did a, a great job. You know Dan Quinn is their new defensive coordinator. There's no uh, you know there's not a lot of recent evidence that he's going to be able to. Uh, make their defense good. And then, um, you know, they still have Mike McCarthy, the Giants. I thought their process was good. You yeah. know, they traded down. They picked up some nice draft capital for next year. I like the uh, Aziz Ojolari pick in the second round. The Kadarius Tony pick. I mean, uh, Vegas, I was looking at the numbers. They have his over-under for receiving yards at like 523 Ooh. for his this year, whereas... Um, yeah, Devontae I don't know Smith why they were like so hell bent on taking a receiver. Like, you know, Devontae yeah. Smith is one thing, but then to trade down and like and sort of force the Tony pick, yeah. um, like, you know, they've got they've got Slayton and Shepard and Galladay. Um, like is, was it necessary to really force that? I'm not so sure. Yeah, I don't know. I, I thought they were okay at, at receiver. I think they might have just got flustered and scrambled and uh mm. just picked him. They should have tried to trade. They did get your boy Ellerson Smith. Yeah, they should have tried to trade Tony to uh, Urban Meyer, given that he, he said he really wanted him. He pr- probably could have fleeced him. Uh, and then Washington, uh, I liked Washington's draft a lot. Uh, Jamin Davis, Samuel Cosme, Benjamin St. Just, Bo's uh, favorite old cornerback. Mm-hmm. Benjamin St. Just. Diami Brown, did he end up being the official wide receiver of Birds with I Friends? He or was did. he a runner-up? Yeah. I believe he okay. did. Yeah, that was a good value there. Yeah, so I thought they uh, they, they got, got the some- cheese man. The long snapper from Michigan. Cameron Even some Cheese good uh, seventh-round yeah. picks, actually. William Bradley King, Shaka Tony, and Dax Mill. Yeah, yeah that's a pretty good pretty What did good you think draft. of Shaka Tony? I was on a Penn State podcast. What did you think of him going into the draft? I would not I would be lying if I said I had a very strong opinion. Okay. I mean, Zach, he's a, he, he's he a Philly him. guy. He's a Philly guy who yeah. won a state title. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, of, of course I like Shaka Tony there. And, uh, I mean, he was he was a team captain at Penn State. He was a productive yeah. pass rusher. So, uh, What was your answer? Shield. Me? Yeah, when you were asked about it. Oh, well, we we were going through every, basically the guys, the Penn State players who got picked and are they in good fits? And I hadn't done a lot of work on Shaka Tony mm. leading up to the draft because, you know, we didn't know if he was going to get drafted. But I was looking at his profile. It's like pretty good. You know, he had yeah. 20 and a half sacks in Draftable college. profile, yeah. 
his athletic testing was fantastic. Um, All those Penn State that's guys, every yeah. Penn State player. But yeah, so I was kind of looking at it like um, I was thinking about our draft night conversations about taking flyers on guys with upside versus maybe some of the guys they took. And, you know, in that sense, I was a little bit surprised that maybe he didn't go around or two uh, higher there. And then you mentioned Ojolari. Um, you know, I published the uh, the shadow draft yes. for this year. And, uh, you know, last year I felt very good. This year, you know, Howie, Howie sort of played me. Uh, you know, I you know, gain well a pick later, Tui Pelotu a pick later. It really, you know, I guess it comes down to Ojolari and Melifonwu, who were my second and third round picks against uh, Dickerson and Milton Williams. But I like just in general, like I think I think the Eagles did a very good job with this draft. That was that was really my my number one takeaway from from my uh, my shadow draft. Look at that Homer reporter over there. Seriously, I know, <laughs> you know, you know this you guy. Know, you guys know Tell me. Us how that's great that's they not are. what I yeah, want to yeah, say, please. but I think they did do it. Like process wise, I think this was a good job. Yeah, I mean, I I think what what jumped out to me, and it's it's something that we've discussed, and I've I've really kind of been pounding the table on to use draft jargon, is they didn't push for need, right? Yeah, that's what, that's what I was uh, asking like I, for. You know, and I, I, I think there was not a, a pick there where you're like, they only did that to satisfy this depth chart. Um, and, and that's the way they should do it. And I think it was Sam Lynch who, 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 who put it well, and I strongly believe it. Default. Uh, free agency is, is to plug your needs. The draft is to keep yourself from having future mm-hmm. needs. You know, and, and that's what they're doing. And uh, defensive tackle, it is, it is easy to see. If Milton Williams is a player, him stepping in in a year or two. Um, same thing at center, obviously, or even guard uh, with Landon Dickerson. There are, you know, what you want is is you want that pipeline. You 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 want to draft well and not push a need so that guy can eventually become a starter for you or a contributor. Yeah, I think I saw uh, Brian Baldinger said that he thought. Landon Dickerson could beat out Jason Kelsey this That's year, insane. right? Did I see I mean, that? Ins- he said that, yeah. but it's insane. I thought, I mean, just for the record, I thought Jason Kelsey was outstanding last year, and the guy like hasn't missed a game in six yeah, years. It's like, it's I like, don't think Jason Kelsey voted off retirement to uh, sit on the bench, but it, it did make me think about the uh, about the guard spots. And he it, could beat if beat out if but like, but he's got to be. I mean, Dickerson. When did healthy. he have the ACL right. surgery? Right. I mean, no. That... I'm saying event. Like I'm saying Brandon. I know. Like, no, no, I, I, I know. Yeah. No, that wasn't in. Yeah. No, that was. I was just. There was just a random Dickerson sure. point, but Dickerson had the ACL surgery in when December, January. Uh, I think he, he had, he, it in he, he, he had, he, he got injured at the SEC title game in December. Okay. I don't know when the surgery was. Right. Okay. So he's yeah. going to be, you know, playing from behind a little bit um, here. So it might not be. Uh, now I will also say on Dickerson, um, I was talking to somebody who was, who was talking to me back a little bit on the injury histories that they were not necessarily season ending injuries. Um, in his second and third seasons at Florida State. One of them was like midway through the season, he gets an, an injury and Florida State just decides for eligibility purposes, it'll make more sense to medically redshirt him, which makes sense. And then the other one, um, it was like sort of a, an odd confluence of events where he worked, you know, like he very quickly got back from the injury and then got some sort of complication that was, uh, you know, rare. Still, he has, he has two torn ACLs, and you know they do yeah. say that two separate torn ACLs, right and left, is better than two on the same. I mean, we're sort of like, these are... These it's are like, like, and I know that's yeah. right, yeah. Right, um, but <laughs> it's, uh, I, think there is, I think there's a thought that this is not a guy who is like... It's not like Ojolari, where you're worried about like this knee could... One big thing. Right, one big thing. Yeah. It's a thing where like, you know, he, he's had this history. Okay. We'll see what happens. 
Hopefully he stays healthy. You don't want you never we don't want a guy to get injured. Yeah, definitely not. Yeah. All right. Well, that'll do it for this episode of Birds with Friends. Thanks to Shield, Zach, and Marissa. Thank you to Tyler Tynes for joining us. Make sure you do read that story on GQ.com and uh, you know go go into the uh, back catalog of Tyler Tynes' work. His story uh, from like I think 2017, the state of Louisiana versus Cardale Hayes. One of my favorite uh, one of my favorite sports writing stories of the past couple years so uh, check that one out as well i like this john cheney story you did a good job with that yeah there you go all right well uh thanks for listening we will be back at some point next week and as always we love you